Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, it's Dan Amender here. Join us again for this novel adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a collaboration between the Cardio Nerds, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, Cardio Nerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, hope you're enjoying the intro music, custom mix for Cardio Nerds by student Dr. Hirsch Elhetz, a.k.a. DJ Elhetz, medical student at USC and Cardio Nerds Academy intern of House Thomas. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 3.3 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Adriana Mares, answered first by Brigham and Women's Medicine Intern and Director of Cardinals Internship, Dr. Gurleen Carr, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Allison Bailey. Dr. Bailey is a cardiologist at Centennial Heart. She is the Editor-in-Chief of the American College of Cardiology's Extended Learning, or Excel, Editorial Board, and was a member of the writing group for the 2018 American Lipid Guidelines. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Cardio Nerds. Amit, thank you so much. It's always a privilege and an honor to be on Cardio Nerds. I love everything you're doing and listen to all your episodes. Thank you. So let's dive into some questions. Adriana, what do you have for us? Thank you, Amit. Our first question goes like this. Mr. Early M.I. is a 55-year-old man with the history of bird is seeing you in clinic as he is concerned about his family history of early myocardial infarction and would like to discuss if he should be taking a statin for cardiovascular prevention. He has never smoked tobacco. His 10-year CVD risk is estimated to be 8%, which imaging modality is recommended by the ESC guidelines to reclassify his CVD risk? The answer choices are A, coronary artery calcium CAC scoring, B, echocardiography, C, ankle brachial index, D, contrast-enhanced computed tomography coronary angiography, CCTA, or E, none of the above. Dr. Carr, would you tell us what imaging modality you would use to reclassify Mr. I's CVD risk? Thank you so much, Adriana, for the question. So in this case, the correct answer is A, coronary artery calcium or CAC scoring. So coronary artery calcium scoring can reclassify cardiovascular disease risk either upwards or downwards, and it should specifically be considered in patients with calculated risk scores that are around decision thresholds. So CAC scores that are higher than expected for age and sex increase estimated future cardiovascular disease risk. And notably, CAC score can also be used to de-risk if CAC is absent or lower than expected. The 2021 ESC prevention guidelines have a Class 2B level of evidence B recommendation to consider CAC scoring to improve risk classification around treatment decision thresholds. 
However, whenever we're thinking about any diagnostic or any imaging modality, it's important to also consider its limitations. And one limitation of CAC is that it does not provide direct information on total plaque burden or stenosis severity. In the ESC guidelines, there's also a class 2B level of evidence B recommendation to use plaque detection by carotid ultrasound as an alternative when CAC scoring is unavailable or not feasible. Plaque that's assessed through carotid ultrasound is defined as presence of wall thickening that is more than 50% than the surrounding vessel wall or a focal region with intima media thickness measurement of greater than 1.5 millimeters that protrudes into the lumen. And when we're thinking about CAC scoring and its recommendations through the ESC guidelines, also important to think about how it differs from the ACCHA guidelines. So the 2019 ACCHA guidelines on primary prevention have a class 2A recommendation for using the CAC score, and they actually explicitly mention that it should be used for adults at intermediate risk, between 7.5 and 20% 10-year ACVD risk. And the cutoffs that those guidelines recommend are greater than 100 agatsin units would reclassify risk upwards, while a CAC score of zero would reclassify risk downwards. However, it's really important to keep in mind that the guidelines mention that clinicians should not downclassify risk in patients who have a CAC of zero if they are current smokers or have diabetes or have a family history of ASCVD or any other chronic inflammatory conditions that would put them at increased risk. Furthermore, the 2018 ACCHA guidelines also have a class 2A recommendation that if CAC score is zero, then it's reasonable to withhold statin therapy and reassess risk in five to 10 years, as long as higher risk conditions that I just mentioned are absent. And if the CAC score is between one and 99, then it's reasonable to initiate statin therapy as well for patients greater than 55 years of age. And then just going through some of the other answer choices in this question, Choice B, echocardiogram is incorrect. It's not recommended to improve cardiovascular risk prediction because of the lack of convincing evidence that it improves CBD risk classification. In this case, choice C, ankle brachial index is also incorrect. So the older ESC guidelines of 2013 did mention ABI could be considered as a risk modifier in cardiovascular disease risk estimation. But the New York 2021 guidelines mentioned that a ankle brachial index has limited potential in terms of reclassification. There's been some data, there's been an individual patient data meta-analysis that showed that there may be some utility of ankle brachial index for women who are at intermediate risk, with 12 to 27% of middle-aged individuals that have an abnormal ankle brachial index defined as less than 0.9. Out of those individuals, around 50 to 89% did not have any typical claudication symptoms. When we're thinking about ankle brachial index, the 2019 ACCHA guidelines do actually mention that an ABI less than 0.9 can be a risk-enhancing factor. And then finally, coming to our last choice, choice D, that's also incorrect in terms of CCTA or coronary computed tomographic angiography. That's been shown in studies such as Scott Hart to have utility in predicting cardiac events in patients with stable chest pain and can identify coronary stenosis. But it's not recommended by the ESC guidelines for any prognostic value or risk classification in asymptomatic patients. And then finally, according to the ESC guidelines, routine vascular testing or imaging other than CAC scoring or carotid ultrasound for plaque determination is not recommended. And that's a class three level of evidence B recommendation. And then in terms of this patient's family history of 
premature cardiovascular disease. The ESC guidelines describe that even though family history is significantly associated with CVD in studies, it only marginally improves the prediction of CVD risk beyond conventional ESCVD risk factors. But that's not to say that family history shouldn't be considered. It's still very important to obtain regularly when we see patients. And if there is a positive family history of ESCVD, then a comprehensive CVD risk assessment is important. And when we're thinking about family history, it's not binary because those with the greater dose of family history in terms of more relatives that are affected at earlier ages might be at a greater risk. So overall, the main takeaway of this question is that when a patient without established AACVD has an estimated 10-year risk around treatment decision thresholds, then CAC scoring is the best established imaging modality to improve CVD risk stratification. And Dr. Bailey, I'd like to turn it over to you to add your thoughts about when we're thinking about coronary artery calcium scoring, what the warranty period of it is, as well as the limitations and thoughts about other imaging modalities. Thank you, Gerlaine. That was a really excellent summary of what the ESC guidelines recommend and really put together a lot of what we know about risk stratification. So I want to bring up just a few points. The first thing I always have to say as a prevention doctor is really the cornerstone of prevention is promotion of a healthy lifestyle and control of risk factors. And so I think we always have to think about that first in everything we do with every patient. I always remember the concept of ideal cardiovascular health. And we know if, if a man or a woman at age 50 has all of their risk factors controlled, the lifetime risk of symptomatic disease drops from 50 to 70 percent down to about 5 percent. So really, prevention really holds the power for reducing cardiovascular disease in our populations. So I always have to start with that. The second thing I think is important to talk about is the power of zero. For anyone who's on Twitter, we know that that's a popular hashtag and we talk about a lot of things. I think you rightly pointed out that the power of zero, which really means a CAC score of zero, excludes smokers, diabetics, those with a family history of early onset atherosclerotic disease or individuals with chronic inflammatory disorders. And this becomes important in risk stratification when we're talking about future event rates. When we were talking about this warranty period, which is something that's also gotten a lot of attention recently, you know, the cholesterol guidelines suggested maybe repeating your CAC down the road. Uh, well, since those guidelines come out, there's been a nice analysis from Mesa, which looked at the warranty period of a calcium score of zero. And what it showed us was that in general, that warranty period was probably good for three to seven years. The presence of diabetes gave us a shorter uh, warranty period. And what we're really talking about with a warranty period is how long until we have to start worrying about increased risk. And so in general, if someone's low risk or less than 5% 10-year risk, it's probably a longer warranty period, somewhere probably towards that six to seven-year threshold. The intermediate risk patient, which is that sort of 5 to 20% 10-year risk, would be somewhere between three to five years. And then the high-risk patient, which is more than 20%, or in individuals with diabetes, it's a shorter warranty period, more like three years. And so it becomes important when we look at if our CAC is progressing, we know that selects a higher group of individuals for future cardiac events, and that it is a group we want to be more aggressive with. There is a couple of other points I'd like to make, including... CAC scoring has been shown to modify behavior. 
And I'm always looking for ways to uh, encourage the individuals that I meet along with my family and my friends to be healthier and to do those things that we know that reduce risk. And so there's been a couple of studies out there that looked at individuals who had a CAC score and then looked at were they more likely to take a statin, were they more likely to exercise, to eat healthy. And several analyses show that just knowing that your CAC score is elevated promotes a healthier lifestyle. So there's more to come on that as these populations will be followed long term. But having a CAC score may be a step for increasing uh, healthy lifestyle behaviors. And then, you know, the other thing we should talk about are some of the limitations of CAC. Uh, I think one of the things we've spent a lot of time talking about over the years is the fact that CAC has some radiation associated. But with contemporary CT scans, the dose of radiation is very low. If you have a higher generation scanner, it can be as low as 0.2 millisieverts, which really is lower than the mammography or CT scanning for lung cancer, both of which are, are therapies that are recommended for their utility in screening populations. And then I think the final thing you've already alluded to, but what we're really talking about with the power of zero is for risk stratification and prediction for future events in asymptomatic patients. We always have to remember that if a patient is symptomatic, the presence of CAC zero does not exclude obstructive disease and that they can still have non-calcified atherosclerotic plaque. And so there, you know, it was a nice analysis uh, earlier this year that went through some of that and got a lot of media attention. But it really showed that although patients with a CAC of zero usually had a low prevalence of obstructive disease, it was not zero percent. What we saw it was somewhere between three to eight percent, depending on different age groups. And so, really, if you're looking at younger patients or women, we saw higher likelihood of having obstructive plaque with a CAC score of zero. So I think the key takeaway from that is if you're seeing a symptomatic patient, a CAC score of zero is not a slam dunk. You probably need some other imaging modality or functional testing to exclude a symptomatic atherosclerosis. Great learning points. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bailey and Dr. Carr.